MSW Media. Hi, this is Will Forte, and you're, for some reason, listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. Major choice. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Before I took up podcasting to fund my semi-lavish lifestyle, I made my bones and money chronicling the booze biz for a variety of uh, print and online publications. Now, for the bulk of my career, I wrote about adult beverages instead of talking about them as I do now. And honestly, I miss it sometimes. But the fact is, there's more money in talking nowadays than there is in writing. For a variety of reasons, the written word's been devalued. And that's a real shame. The other day, while doing some housekeeping here at WWD headquarters, I came across some pieces I'd written that stirred up a little nostalgia in me for the days when the pen was mightier than the podcast. Because, you know, there was no such thing as podcasts. One of my favorite pieces, and, and one of the most widely read things I've, I've ever produced, like I'm talking million views, was a piece for a site called Food Republic, which was founded by celebrity chef Marcus Samuelson. Some background. I get pitched things from booze publicists all the time. And sometimes those pitches are, you know, real head scratchers. We even have a segment here on this show called Outside the Zone, where we poke fun at some of the more egregiously bad ones. I want you to throw the next one at the mascot. Why? I'm finally throwing it where I want to throw it. Just throw it at the ball, right? Just a bit outside. But back in the day, when I was writing, I usually just ignored the shitty pitches, you know. But there was this one time, about a decade ago, I guess, when something came across my desk that was so patently absurd that I, I simply couldn't just let it go. It was a pitch for a now defunct brand called Kansas Spirit Whiskey. So a box arrived with a bottle of the booze in it, along with what no doubt should have been a media kit. But what they actually sent me, by mistake, was a pitch intended for investors with details about the cringeworthy origin of the brand and their inane plan for marketing it. It was definitely not something they ever intended for a journalist to see. But see it, I did. And to be fair, I will say that the folks at Kansas Spirit Whiskey seemed to embrace wokeness before woke was even a thing. Problem is, they did so in such an overtly dickish way that I bet even the likes of AOC would have been turned off by this pitch. The headline on the story I eventually wrote for Food Republic was finally a whiskey for horrible people. It went a little something like this. With the launch of their first liquor brand, an upstart company called Fabulous American Beverages, or Fab if you're feeling suicidal, 
is going where no other whiskey maker I know of has purposely gone before. Ladies night at the Jersey Shore. Kansas Spirit Whiskey is intended, quote, to appeal equally to men and women who typically enjoy vodka, according to Paul Goldman, who was inspired to create the brand while on vacation with his wife, who complained that whiskey, quote, was for old men and wasn't cool. All due respect, Paul, but I sure hope she's either rich or gorgeous because she ain't much in the intelligence department. For the moment, I'll set aside the catastrophic decision-making involved in basing the marketing of a major liquor launch on the offhand opinions of someone who apparently has no real experience in a basic bar, let alone the liquor game. I'll even set aside the fact that you let your wife tell you what to drink, for now. I'll just say the obvious. Basing your marketing campaign on the premise that whiskey isn't cool is the single most moronic statement I have ever heard in this industry, and trust me, I've heard some doozies. <coughs> Say you're selling spam. The spam is probably fine. It might even be great if you're the kind of person who enjoys the beguiling mixture of ham and pork in a shaped meat product. To each his own. But don't sell it by saying steak is like so over. You know why? Because steak doesn't suck. And everyone with half a brain knows it. Even vegetarians. You wanted to throw your weight around, put someone down, but you literally chose the coolest liquor in the world to insult. And guess what? Whiskey doesn't care. That's what makes it cool. The only other liquor that's anywhere near as cool is tequila. But tequila's always been too crazy to really be cool. Tequila will cut you for looking at its woman, then laugh while the cops drag it off to jail and spit at you during the trial. And trust me, you don't want to pick on vodka either. Dude doesn't have much of a personality, but I swear he goes to the gym twice a day. You want the nerd of the liquor crew? Try gin. You can give gin an atomic wedgie, and the worst thing it'll do is scream that his daddy will have you banned from the yacht club. How about a fresca? Oh. Ah. <laughs> but insulting whiskey says far more about you and your own insecurities than it does about the quintessential American spirit. Quote, I wanted to get whiskey out of the middle-aged living room and onto the beach and into clubs, said Goldman, who last month launched his breakthrough product in two beach-going club-hopping party meccas, Kansas and Missouri. Plans are apparently afoot to roll out soon to similar hotspots across the nation. Look out, Idaho! To achieve the desired non-whiskiness in Kansas whiskey, Goldman and the team at Fab harvest amber winter wheat, a lighter grain than the corn, rye, and barley used to make most other American whiskeys. Then they distill it in column versus traditional pot stills, resulting in a spirit that is, quote, flawlessly smooth. Or as it's also known in the business, vodka. They marry the final distillate with premium artisanal whiskey and, voila, whiskey-flavored vodka. Let's do some shots and turn Branson upside down, motherfuckers! The Kansas Whiskey Investor Kit that accompanied my complimentary sample contained a preview of the brand's upcoming guerrilla marketing campaign, which suggests the demographic the company intends on targeting. It features the series of close-up shots of straight-from-central-casting hipsters with copy that underscores the brand's unconventional approach to messaging. 
Because the old rules don't apply to Kansas whiskey. A new day is dawning. It's all good, yo. So long as you're not some slobbering 30-plus codger drinking that awful whiskey-flavored whiskey on a barca lounger. Aren't you whiskey drinkers dead yet? One page boasts a triptych of young trying-to-harders. Black guy with a huge fro and oversized plastic-framed glasses, Asian woman with vintage paisley top and platinum-dyed bob, and a white guy with bedhead who would fit in perfectly with the guys from Grizzly Bear, if only he could be bothered. The ad promises, quote, whiskey for us that is astonishingly light and has none of that awful middle-aged yuck factor. It really said that. Which is what leaves me to believe that these people have never been to a bar. At least not a bar with hipsters in it. Because if you had, you would know that hipsters drink two things. Pabst Blue Ribbon and Jack Daniels. This in itself is aggravating enough. But if you think you're going to fool the young folk who take themselves too seriously, think again. They might be idiots, but they're not stupid. The last thing a true dyed-in-the-wool cap hipster would ever embrace is a product specifically designed for them, as that would fly in the face of their carefully cultivated sense of irony. Unless, in a stroke of true three-dimensional chess-playing brilliance, Goldman has created a brand that hipsters will embrace precisely because it's marketed to them, and is therefore so lame it becomes cool again. Oh, look at me. I'm drinking Kansas whiskey because I'm so totally a hipster. But something tells me he's not that smart. Something tells me that if he were here, I'd pour us both a tumbler of Michter's and he'd tell me all about how his wife never lets him do anything fun. Always makes him dress up in a hoodie and skinny jeans before she'll so much as give him a peck on the cheek. And I'd listen like a good friend should and suggest we go up on my roof deck where the view is better and Point out the hill you can see if you stand right up on the corner parapet, where my father gave me some very important words of advice. Son, women are the single best thing in all this blue, beautiful world, but never let them tell you what to drink. Then I'd shove him off into space and out of his misery. Hush now, Paul. The hard part's over. You're going where she can't hurt you anymore. little addendum to that by the way a while after that piece ran i ran into paul goldman at the wine and spirits wholesalers association convention in vegas and he wanted to throttle me he really did he he stalked me i was on a panel and he stood watching me up on that panel for about a good hour staring daggers at me like he was going to kill me and then he confronted me after the panel and told me how unfair I was and threatened me because I brought his wife into it, in which I informed him, well, you brought your wife into it by putting her in that kit in the first place. He then wanted to sit down and try to explain to me, blah, 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 and I, it just never happened, and I wished him the best, and a couple months later, Kansas Spirit Whiskey went out of business. Sad. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Friends, it's easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you. Never take a moment to think about what you need from yourself. Look, when we spend all of our time giving, it can leave us feeling stretched thin and burned out. Therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life, so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I suggest you give BetterHelp a try. 
I've been using it for the past year, and it's been tremendous. Lockdown did a number on me. I was feeling pretty low. Then I connected with a BetterHelp therapist, and well, I feel like me again. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash WWD today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash WWD. I had some people over recently and the homemade drinks were a-flowing. All my guests were like, dude, these are the best friggin' cocktails I've ever had. You're an amazing mixologist. And I was like, damn straight I am. What my guest didn't know was I was cheating a little bit. All right, maybe more than a little bit. Of course, I use top shelf booze in the drink. You gotta do that. But I wasn't juicing the limes or pureeing the prickly pears or grinding up the jalapenos that made my cocktails so fabulous. All I did was order up Fresh Victor. Fresh Victor is a line of all-natural, clean-label cocktail mixers that brings the magic of master mixologists into your home. They're the best mixers available on the market, hands down. All the ingredients are fair trade sourced. There's no artificial anything. The mixers are produced at a 100% solar-powered juicing plant with absolutely no waste. And right now, Fresh Victor is offering a pretty juicy deal to my listeners. Simply go to FreshVictor.com, fill up your shopping cart with a bunch of great mixers, and at checkout, enter promo code FVDAN20. That's F as in fresh, V as in Victor, Dan20. Get 20% off your order. Now is the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market, and that's Fresh Victor. All right, so the next article I want to revisit is a piece I wrote back in 2016 for Thrillist that is about the ills of gentrification. It's called The Rise and Fall of Abbott Kinney, or How Venice is Dying. Now, this piece was even more well-read than the previous piece. In fact, this might be the most read online article that I've ever published, and uh, I'm very proud of it. I like it. It's a Channeled my inner Hunter S. Thompson for this one. So what was happening at the time was a bar on Abbott Kinney that used to be a gay bar, then sort of morphed into a straight slash gay bar called Rooster Fish, which was an iconic place, was closing down because their rent was being quadrupled, which was the case of so many places. Anybody that knows Abbott Kinney, it was sort of this gritty street in Venice, you know, 20 some years ago. And then it just became, it got taken over and, and, and became, you know, like a theme park, essentially. So turns out Roosterfish did close, but it has since reopened in the same location. It got a stay of execution. I'm happy to say it's doing well. Unfortunately, the rest of Abikini still kind of sucks. And I think this place resonates even more now, or this piece, excuse me, resonates even more now than it did back then. So let's, uh... Let's give it a shot, shall we? I opened it up with a a little quote for you from a famous writer. The rich always have a sort of pilot fish who goes ahead of them. Then you have the rich and nothing is ever as it was again. Ernest Hemingway, A Movable Feast. Hemingway is even more prescient than he realized. The relentless white shark of gentrification recently devoured another of its trusty Venice pilot fishes. A rooster fish, to be precise. If you're not familiar, 
Roosterfish is the Abbott Kinney watering hole that's been catering to the West Side's gay community since 1979. Us West Side straights love the joint too. What with its pool table and $4 rolling rocks and room full of people who live every night like the world is going to end in flames. And will be damned if they aren't going to be dressed for it. Not everyone gives a rat's ass about Roosterfish, its rich history, and its patrons, though. Their landlord just shoved his boot up the bar's ass, obviously hoping that it gets taken over by a well-off future tenant, which almost surely will be some sustainably customized, cutting-edge specialty boutique that sells Euro-chic, gluten-free, hand-harvest, what's-the-fuckses nobody needs that can somehow afford to pay $17 a square foot on top of 600000 key money. Roosterfish, which will officially shut down in May, is right down the street from where the original Howe's Bar and Grill used to be. Howe's closed last year after 30 years of brisk business on Abbott Kinney, though apparently not brisk enough. Several shops that were adjacent to Howe's also went belly up. A store called Vince now occupies one of the spots. I don't know Vince or where he came from, but man, are his skinny-ribbed cardigans and stamped python shoulder bags ever pricey. And just a stone's throw away from the soon-to-be ruins of Roosterfish, you'll find Joe's Restaurant. Or at least you will until February 14th. That's when the Michelin star-rated local favorite's quarter-century run comes to an end. Just so we're clear, I'm talking figurative stone throws here. You throw a real rock on Abbott Kinney, you might hit a Snapchat exec coming out of scotch and soda. And those dudes are more lawyered up than Martin Screlly and twice as smug. Indeed, I don't think it can be a coincidence that tech bros are becoming as ubiquitous in Venice as fixed-gear bikes and cranky hippies. Startups have invaded the area in recent years, lured by exorbitant rents, craft cocktails, and obsession with Californication. And the people who work for them have taken to referring to the area as Silicon Beach. By the way, thanks to a little-known loophole in local ordinances, it is perfectly legal to punch anyone who uses that stupid term seriously right in their stupid dick. Unfortunately, it's also well documented that using that phrase causes your penis to evaporate. How do you like that catch-22? Thanks a lot, physics. The truth is, in 2016, there's about as good a chance of getting punched on Abbott Kinney in the dick or anywhere else, as there is of enjoying a $3 mimosa at Feed, which closed last month, or a picture of Sam Gria at Primitivo, which shuttered last August, or an affordable cashmere hoodie at Vince. They start at $395. I first moved here 16 years ago, which makes me a short-timer by many people's standards. But back then, you had to watch your ass on Abbott Kinney at all times. If you stumbled out of the brig at 2 a.m., the street was full of possibilities, many of them treacherous which is what made hanging out there so appealing, which is what brought the tech bros, which is what destroyed the possibilities, treacherous or no. People who can afford to avoid danger are drawn to it, until they smother the life out of it, that is. Then they chase it somewhere else and kill it again. Venice throwbacks who've managed to hold on amid the gallimaufry of gentrified emptiness spreading across the boulevard endlessly debate the moment when Abbott Kinney went from being the artery that supplied blood to the country's most nonconformist beach community. Many point to the April 2012 issue of GQ magazine, which dubbed Abbott Kinney the coolest block in America. Locals embraced the honor with enthusiasm normally reserved for being chosen for jury duty. 
And while the GQ nod no doubt helped raise Abbott Kinney's profile among certain undesirables, i.e. those who read GQ, the die was cast long before that article came out. Remember Pinkberry? It opened in 2007. Local rabble-rousers like to crow that they eventually shut it down. The fact is, the place endured for almost three years. Nailed it! Eventually. Louis Ryan owns the townhouse in Venice, along with Hatchet Hall in Culver City. It's been around a long time and has one word to explain what's happened to Abbott Kinney. He said greed, you win a 50-cent coupon off to Vince. Tell him Martin Shkreli sent you. It was just marketing. There are businesses out there with very deep pockets who view having a shop on that street as strictly brand building. There's a lot of money to be made right now if you own a property on Abbott Kinney. Indeed, along with Vince, the Abbott Kinney has seen a string of fashionably low-key, high-profile brands open up shops, such as Warby Parker, Rag and & Bone, and Junk Food Clothing Company, most of which took down a long-term beloved resident of the Strip. And just to spell it out so even Trump voters can understand it, these places they killed are the very reason the neighborhood was cool in the first place. Ryan is suspect as to the long-term health of these businesses, saying, quote, it's a very dangerous bubble. Abikini's not going anywhere, of course, but the genuinely cool places that made it great in the first place, who knows if anything like that can ever happen again, end quote. So what's next? Personally, I could give a bespoke shit about the long-term health of this pack of cynical, culture-napping vultures. They start losing money, they shut the stores down, take a minor loss, open up in the next hipster enclave, and continue on their merry way, exploiting child labor in Bangladesh. Meanwhile, there's only one rooster fish, and it's going to be gone soon. Still, if they fuck the neighborhood up to the point where they'll have to pull up stakes, it would be preferable to the way it is now. I actually look forward to the day I can walk down Abbott Kinney again, secure in the knowledge that at any moment, a crackhead might come along and whack me upside the head with a tire iron. Be a lot less painful than, say, the average brunch tab at Jelena. Till that day comes, however, rumor has it it's pilot fish mating season over in West Adams. Get in while the getting's good. Some of my favorite summertime cocktails are whiskey-based. The mint julep, a gold rush, a paper plane. And the whiskey I turn to as the base in those cocktails is Rabbit Hole. They make bourbon and rye in extremely small batches at their wonderful distillery in Louisville, Kentucky. Rabbit Hole's recipes are totally unique and were created by their founder, Bourbon Hall of Famer Cave Zamanian, who spares no expense in making great whiskey. Cave and his team have their own cooking methods and use top-of-the-line grains. They never chill filter, and they use barrels that are toasted, charred, and wood-fired, which almost nobody else in the business does. Trust me on this. What you end up with is a line of bourbon and rye with these really rich, deep flavors that are unlike anything you've ever tasted. The forecast for this summer is hot, 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 and I, for one, plan and to cool down with some refreshing cocktails made with rabbit hole. Please, my friends, come join me. Okay, friends, I got one more for you. This one also from Thrillist a few years ago. The headline is, The craziest booze names we can't believe are actually real. So I once met a guy at a booze convention in Las Vegas who'd made a ton of dough in Silicon Valley and wanted to pursue his lifelong dream of owning his own island rum. He funded the project himself, research and development, to contracting a reputable distillery in the Caribbean to make it. He came to the convention in hopes of securing distribution, which is, you know, the most essential step in the process. Now, I asked him what he planned to call his booze, and he told me he wanted to leave a legacy behind, something his kids could be proud to call their own someday. He's going to use the family name. 
I wished him luck, went our separate ways, I never saw him again. As far as I know, he never did get distribution for his eponymous Island Rum. And that's a damn shame. Bob Hoare seemed like a good guy. Why don't you go back to your home on Hoare Island? The allegorical lesson of Hoare Island Rum is that what's on the bottle can be every bit as important as what's in it. Crude, cryptic, or cliched names rarely give rise to successful products. Now, when deciding what to dub your small batch polke or chitterlings-infused whiskey, it's best to follow the advice of legendary San Diego newsman and stay classy. Over the years, there have been many alcohol brand names that were genuine head-scratchers. I've seen most of them. Some came and went faster than you can say Stiffy's Vodka, while others have lingered longer than the odious scent of donkey piss. A Reposado tequila produced in an award-winning distillery. There are bad booze names. There are worse booze names. And there are booze names that are just... No. No, 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 no. Here's to the most insane of all time. So the first category we're going to go with is the not-so-great. Tequiza. Great name for an international pop sensation or NFL running back. Lousy name for a beer. Dry sack. Is this a sherry or a condition for which an elderly gentleman might need to see a dermatologist? Oh, behave. Ivana bitch tobacco-flavored vodka. Seriously, this was a real product. Ivana bitch tobacco-flavored vodka. Now, when the fact that your vodka tastes like an ashtray isn't the most repulsive thing about it, well, you've taken bad taste to a whole new level. The next category was the, what were they thinking? Porn vodka. This is a brand from Germany marketed as an exclusive drink for those who know exactly what they want. When I think porn, I don't usually also think exclusivity, but they may have a point here. If there's any type of porn that caters to the taste of just a select few... It's German porn. Next up, we have Dickens Cider. Oh, you see? They took one of the greatest writers in the English language and used them to make a crappy pun. Bravo! Bravo! Ooh, that next one was number one tequila. Don't kill the messenger here. That was an actual brand. Number one tequila. Remember the time a certain fast casual chain got in hot water for tweeting, I hate tacos, said no one ever? Well, I do. Same problem with this brand. And you'll be shocked to learn that that isn't even in our next carry, which is the no, just no. First up, Siemens shot. That's S-E-A-M-A-N apostrophe S shot. Proving that no one ever went broke, underestimating the maturity of the booze market. Flicker Bean coffee-infused whiskey. Flicker Bean. What in the actual fuck? Then you got Balls Vodka. Had enough cheap sexual innuendo yet? Oh, wait. This isn't even innuendo. Oh, and also on this list, Nut Liquor Peanut Butter Vodka. Okay, now have you had enough cheap sexual innuendo? Belching beaver beer. How about now? Happy ending imperial stout. Okay, I'm getting tired of this and I'm the one saying it. Oh no, oh no, 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 no. (laughs) Fat cock, C-O-Q, 
Fat cock Chardonnay. Oh, for the love of sweet suffering Jesus, tell me that's enough. No, it's not. Popsy sperm-shaped vanilla cream liqueur. Popsy sperm-shaped vanilla cream liqueur. All right, you're on your own. I, I can't, I just can't. Hey. We finally really did it. You maniacs! You blew it up! Oh, damn you! God! That's going to do it for my uh, book reading recital today, whatever you want to call this episode of the podcast. I throw a little curveball at you every once in a while. I hope you enjoyed it. I invite you to follow me on Instagram, Twitter at The Imbiber. Podcast is at WWD underscore podcast. We'll be back with another one next week. And, uh, And as always, thank you, folks, for taking the time to hang out with me here on this podcast. I can't thank you enough, so I'll let Steve Martin do it for me instead. You've been great, really. I want to thank each and every one of you for coming by. Thank you, 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 thank